Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Kathy Cutler, the Director of Information Operations and Chief Information Officer at the Defense Logistics Agency. Kathy, welcome to the program. Thank you. And my other guest is Michael Scott, Deputy Director of DLA's Logistics Operations. Michael, welcome to the program as well. Thank you. Well, let's start at the beginning. I think this is the first time I've had the Defense Logistics Agency on my show for Ask the CIO. So I always like to, when I get new CIOs and new new people on my show, I always like to start at the beginning. The mission of DLA seems so simple, right? But it's it's probably never as simple as it sounds. Michael, why don't you lead us off? Tell us kind of what the what the mission is for DLA. DLA, as the nation's combat logistics support agency, we manage the end-to-end global supply chain for what the DOD services need. So from raw materials uh, all the way through to the disposition and disposal of material, uh, we supply 100% of uh, fuel for the the services. We do 100% of things like food, the medical supplies, uh, uniforms, clothing, and equipment. And then on top of that, we do about 86% of all the other spare parts and things that the services use day in, day out. That's the core role of DLA. We also have one of our divisions that handles the uh, disposal of that equipment at the end of its life cycle. We do a lot of things that you'll hear today with Kathy and our IT department uh, on various logistics information products. And we're this year targeting over $35 billion in sales, so, uh, you know, a Fortune 500-level type uh, entity if you were going to look at us like a business. Just to be clear on that, when you talk about sales, that always gets us going, what does the government sell? But you're, are you looking at the products you bought from vendors or the services you provided to the Army, the Air Force, the Marines, and the like? The latter, Jason. That would be how many orders we receive from those folks that we fill for them. And on top of the DOD customers, DLA's really changed in the last probably decade or so. We also now support uh, over 40 different federal agencies along with the military services and many foreign nations as well. So uh, a huge global enterprise. And Kathy, you get the joy of supporting all of that from a CIO's perspective as well. I remember writing years ago about RFID was the next big thing for logistics and understanding what you had and where you had it. So let's a little talk about your role as CIO and how you support the mission of DLA. As the CIO, uh, I oversee all of the information technology and all the business systems for the agency. And IT obviously enables all that we do in DLA, whether it's doing secure communications via phone, Skype, VTCs, or operating our key business systems that help process those orders and sales that Mike talked about, or awarding contracts, and managing and providing data and analytics throughout the, uh, the enterprise. Without IT, the business could not keep up with the volumes that we have with all of the global support that we're providing around the world for the warfighters and the other partners that Mike talked about. So we are very much in an enabler role for the whole agency and in terms of what we provide with technology, innovation, and data management on a day-to-day basis. And I look at IT as being a force multiplier to help generate the efficiencies and the effectiveness of what we need to do for the mission. And I know later in the discussion we'll talk about how some of those forces have multiplied over the years, how much change is happening. But just give me a quick, your background real quick. How long have you been CIO at DLA? I have been the CIO for a little over six years now. 
All right, you know, you may just get the award for the longest-serving CIO at an agency. <laughs> you may be pushing that, by the way. Yes, I know. Some which is, days it feels like it. Which, which is a good thing, by the way. I'm not, I'm not disparaging that. I think that you get it. So you've seen a, a ton of change over the years, and, and I'll be interested to, to maybe talk to you, to you about that later on. But before I do that, let me ask Michael about his job as Director of Logistics Operations Support. Talk about that support role and, and how you support the mission of DLA. Our support and oversight, really, the first big piece is uh, operations. So we have one of our divisions it oversees the global activities day in, day out, 24-7, and has that kind of guidance and oversight across the agency for anything we might be supporting. And that can be you know, anything from exercises to special ops missions in certain countries that happen very quickly and, and very quietly. So that that's the big role we have. Another one, we are responsible in my directorate for all the business processes that uh, we do, probably other than finance. We have our own comptroller area and procurement. Everything, you know, starting with demand planning, supply planning, technical data, disposal, dis, uh, distribution. We're the process owner for those business areas. So we have oversight of policy, guidance, systems requirements that we then work with Kathy to have brought to life. Uh, those are the two main areas that uh, logistics operations focuses on. And you've been in your role for how long as well? Uh, I've been in my role since uh, 2014, and I think we're both 30-plus-year lifers at DLA, so I've been here quite a while. Excellent. So you both have seen tons of change. So somebody may be listening and go, well, Kathy's the CIO. Why do I have this guy who does uh, logistics operations on the show? So maybe talk a little bit about your and Kathy's relationship in terms of how you work together and how you support each other. The kind of the secret sauce within DLA is the way we've been able to synchronize business process through automation. And, and that synergy and partnership is the key to the success this agency's had. And so if you were to look at how we're organized, for example, it's highly integrated. So you, you would be hard-pressed to look at a given individual in many cases to know whether they work for Kathy or work for me because it's, it's that tight on how we partner the business with the IT. Um, now, that's obviously not the case for probably the people that do the coding and the network design, but in the systems development arena, just a very close relationship. We work together on the prioritization of things, the resourcing of things, program management of our initiatives, very seamless uh, partnership. And Kathy may have other things to add on. Yeah, so I would like to add to that a little bit. I think when we first started our ERP development in the early 2000s is when that relationship with the IT world changed a little bit because it was, you know, IT was really just about the devices and the network and the comms. But as we went through our ERP um, deployment, it really became more of a partnership because now we need to understand the capabilities that the business organization is looking for and then how to provide them. And we need to do that in a partnership so that we are all generating the success that we need to for the agency. Before then, I don't think that, that IT was a real partner or a real member of what I would say the executive board and the 
organization. But as that ERP came into existence and we did modify our business processes, we centralized our IT and those type of things, it was recognized that IT needed to be a full partner in, in all the decisions moving forward. And I do think that has contributed to the success of the agency. You mentioned the dreaded word uh, ERP. Maybe just give me a little bit of background on that. This is something that you started in the early 2000s, and, and obviously it, it's paid huge dividends because so many times we hear you know enterprise resource planning tool and go, oh, no, that's a, that's a bunch of money going down the drain. What we had in DLA before that time was a bunch of independent, COBOL-coded mainframe systems that everybody ran their supply systems on. It was all very independent. There was no uh, integration, and everybody kind of did their own thing, different processes, different capabilities, different metrics, all of those kinds of things. And so when we went to the ERP, we said we wanted an integrated system, and we wanted to have one system across DLA where we could bring all all the supply chain functions into, and eventually the distribution functions. And so it took us a while to do that, but we started in the early 2000s. We went to a process owner, enterprise business cycle owner type of approach, which Mike uh, talked a little bit about earlier. He, he owned several of those processes. But it was really to look at how we could re- re-engineer those processes, single them up across the, the enterprise, and then match that to those COTS products so that we could get away from the homegrown GOT systems that we used to have in the 70s and 80s. And so we did all that successfully. We rolled in all of the supply chain management aspects uh, within DLA to include our energy uh, capabilities, which that supply chain was the last one we rolled into the ERP. And it is a functioning full-up you know, day-to-day running ERP. Is it perfect? No. We can always make improvements, which we're always trying to do, but it does run the business. We process millions of transactions every day, uh, untouched by human hands. It gives us the financial and the procurement integrity that we need. And once again, I think it has moved the organization forward and made us capable of taking on new missions um, as we move forward. Just real quick, uh, maybe uh, start with Kathy. Talk a little bit about the discuss uh, the makeup of your office, how many employees, maybe even your IT budget for 2018. We have about 2,600 employees in, in information operations. They are all over the world, wherever there is a DLA presence, and we're in 20-some-odd countries and 48 states, and we will have presence in all of those activities. We perform functions in cybersecurity, infrastructure, applications management, strategic technology, hosting, all of those kinds of uh, functions are in our organization, and uh, once again, very much enterprise focus, so whoever manages the inter- the network, for instance, does it on an enterprise-wide basis, so they are managing that network in a worldwide kind of capacity across all of DLA. And in terms of our budget, we have probably about $1.7 billion in our annual budget for FY18, and that includes not only the um, material that we buy for DLA, but we also perform submissions for other elements of DOD. So we run some applications and we provide some services such as printing and document uh, digitization for other elements of the department that aren't necessarily related to the logistical mission that that Mike talked about earlier. So we have acquired over time some additional missions in the IT program management space that help support the department. But when you combine all of those, we're roughly at about $1.7, $1.8 billion in terms of, of the spend that we have. And Mike, talk maybe a little about your office 
as well and, and your employees and your budget and, and how it relates back to maybe the, the, the broader GLA? For logistics operations, we're about 575 folks. Uh, 475 of those are civilian employees and about 100 are active duty military. And on top of that, we have access when we need it to about 55 reservists to help us. And in terms of where those folks are, most of them are here at Fort Belvoir uh, in Virginia, but we have just under 100 of those folks I mentioned are positioned in our three regional commands between Europe and Africa, CENTCOM, and the Pacific. So that, that's the makeup of our office, and I, I talked earlier about the big divisions of how we're structured on top of the the operations focus and the process focus, we have some other specialty missions where we we oversee things like operational contract oversight, uh, uh, helping the military services uh, keep track of uh, you know, who's on the battlefield from an, uh, an OCS perspective. And we have some other specialty things like uh, PBL, uh, performance-based logistics uh, oversight roles and some things like that. Excellent. Well, now let's take a quick break. As we come back, we can talk about one of my favorite topics, supply chain risk management. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. My guests today are Kathy Cutler, the Director of Information Operations and Chief Information Officer at the Defense Logistics Agency, and Michael Scott, the Deputy Director of DLA's Logistics Operations. I'm Jason Miller. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Kathy Cutler, the Director of Information Operations and Chief Information Officer at the Defense Logistics Agency, and Michael Scott, the Deputy Director of DLA's Logistic Operations. Before break, we were talking about a little bit about DLA, how you guys both support the DLA mission. We got to know you a little bit in your background. Uh, let's jump into a, a hot topic, which is supply chain risk management and more broadly, probably enterprise risk management. So let me start with Michael. You guys do a lot around data, data analytics. How do you use data, data analytics to address or mitigate supply chain and other enterprise risks? One of the big areas we made some advancements in in the last year is what we call our business decision analytics tool. And I think when I talked to you last, we had talked about how we were getting ready to deploy that capability. So we've done that. At the end of this March, we rolled this tool out for production use. It is a first-of-the-kind type tool at DLA where we use machine learning and predictive analytics and variables and multiple input data sources to really focus on risk from three perspectives. One, suppliers. Two, uh, the items, the products that we're uh, procuring, and three, pricing. So we bring all of that together in an interactive tool for when our acquisition specialists are going through the process of the acquisition and awarding contracts. This is a real-time capability where they can get input on any of those three attributes in terms of the level of risk to what they're about to do. So whether that's you know, it may be a supplier that has some, you know, history or current activity that might be questionable. It may be on an item that there's been fraudulent activity against that we need to have heightened awareness of what we're doing. And it could be the price that, that you know, the, that we're about to do something that's really beyond even what we thought the proper price parameters might be. So this now, since March, we've used that. We It's used today to scan through roughly a million bids a day in our procurement enterprise. And since March, uh, it has one of the highlights is it's identified more 
more than 350 high-risk cage codes or, or supplier entities. And that's probably one of our top concerns right now from a process perspective are we, we've seen a rise in the number of, I'll say, fraudulent or bad actor companies that are trying to get into our business. And so this new tool has been very helpful in identifying that from the onset and allowing us to then put controls in our systems to not allow them to get business from DLA. So that that's kind of the, the most new and exciting capability for us. And I think Kathy may want to talk about kind of the IT part of how we got were able to do this. So this has been a project we've been working for a while, and it really takes data from a number of different sources, some sources that are just out there from uh, on the web somewhere, different sources or different authoritative uh, locations like Dun & Bradstreet, things of that nature, or just doing some searches on the Internet in terms of making sure that this is a, uh, the supplier is legitimate or what is the characteristic of certain items that we have. And then we brought that together into uh, an analytical engine that kind of looks at that to say what are the trends and what are the flags that we should be looking at in terms of making our business decisions. So it's really a first foray that we've had into using machine learning, as Mike said, and artificial intelligence. We have a ton of data in DLA. We've had a ton of data for years, and really we have more than, than we know how to to use in some cases, and obviously there's a ton of data um, out in the commercial space as well that will help us make these decisions. But trying to fine-tune the engine is really what we're working on, and this is the first step in doing that, to say what are the other rules and the other things that we need to put in place to make sure we're going through that data in a systemic process, and then pr producing those flags so that the buyer on the floor knows, I need to go and check another source of information, or I need to do some more background checks behind whatever I'm seeing to make sure um, that I'm making a good decision. Now, we've been doing those kinds of things for years in our cybersecurity emergency response team, and they also have a role in trying to protect uh, against some of the risks that we have out there from fraudulent cases information and things of that nature. And in fact, just a couple weeks ago, they had found uh, someone that had uh, taken the DLA.mil, which is our email address domain, and had converted that into something that they were using and sending to our vendors to make it look like DLA was actually asking for something. And we found that and we blocked all of that, but it's just the level of sophistication that's out there that we need to protect against from a cybersecurity perspective. So that's also contributing to how we're protecting the overall supply chain and, and mitigating some of those risks. All right, so there's a lot to unpack there. Let me start at the end instead of the beginning usually. Uh, this is a fascinating example, Kathy, around the cyber team. So is this cybersecurity emergency response team something that would normally just look at what's going on on the network, what's going on on, on websites? and you guys have expanded them to more of a risk mitigation around products and, and cyber-specific technology services? 
They've always done it to an extent, but I think they're way more sophisticated now as the cyber risk has expanded, and we have to guard against what our industry partners are doing, because if we don't know what they're doing and how they're protecting their assets, it obviously presents a risk back to DLA and our supply chain management mission. So as the tools have improved and we get more intelligence from different sources, I think it's led to a sophistication on what our team actually looks for and how they can contribute to the overall DLA mission. Years ago, you're exactly right. It used to just be, okay, well, I see this traffic going back and forth on our network. Okay, that looks good. Well, now they're getting more sophisticated on what that traffic is and what are the patterns that they need to detect to say, okay, we need to either do something different here or we need to alert another uh, part of the enterprise that something may be amiss. And the example you provided around the the website, if you will, spoofing, how did they figure it out? Did did you get a complaint from vendors or did they see something that was happening and that was – that was did not look good, looked fishy. So the first alert they got actually from a buyer that said that their the buyer's vendor had sent them a note to say, um, did you really send this to me? Because it was asking for something that DLA normally doesn't ask for. So a vendor actually sent that back to the buyer, and the buyer looked at it and said, I don't know what you're talking about. That was sent to our CERT team, and they were able to trace back Um, where it was originating, how we could block it, and then we had to alert the vendor community that they may be seeing some other things of that nature in the future. And so it was really somebody doing their due diligence, which is what we want. We try to encourage everybody to take, you know, cybersecurity seriously, and, and we show how it does present a risk to the overall mission of DLA. And so folks took that to heart, and we have what we call a spam alert mailbox in the in the cybersecurity space. So if anybody sees something suspicious, they can send it to those experts, and then they can do the diagnostics to see what they need to do. And, Kathy, I think you'd agree, because some of the things we've seen in the space we probably can't get into here on the interview, but one of the common things is that upfront people seeing something strange or different and letting us know, whether mm-hmm. that's suppliers, I mean, this is just one example, or customers, and then quickly with that first one or two instances, we have an ability with your capability to quickly put controls in the system. But that is hugely important for the folks that might be listening to this. Right. Because the the, the issue that, uh, that I was describing, the emails weren't traversing the DLA network. So we didn't know that was happening. Someone else was uh, spoofing it to the commercial space. And it was their link, them giving us the heads up that we were able to do that research and find out what was happening. Let me back up on one of the things that uh, Michael said as well. One thing that you brought up was looking across the three areas, suppliers, products you're procuring, and then pricing. And, and you're seeing some trends. Do one or the other of the three stand out to you as one of those areas that is more at risk or, or is a higher risk? Is the technology telling you something, I guess, that you, maybe you surprised you or, or you were unaware of previously? We've seen things in all three areas, but the biggest right now goes back to the supplier aspects and back to, you know, there's, there is some pretty bad activity of people posing as good companies to do business with, and, and they're very good at it. And so the, the supplier piece of that is probably the most significant for us right now, and, and that's both from a readiness 
perspective, from a financial perspective, that would be the top one. The second one, all the data capabilities that Kathy's bringing to bear, and not just in this tool, but in her predictive analytics capabilities and so forth, the ability to get more granular on the pricing based on even types of items, specific items, to set tighter thresholds for what we do because so much of our work is automated and it's just good stewardship for us to be as sophisticated as we can so we don't see real smart folks just get into a trend of just steadily increasing prices when it really shouldn't be. So those would be the top two. And the other thing I didn't mention in terms of a labor or efficiency point, picture this is 5,000 people doing acquisition work each and every day that in the past still had to do this kind of research. So now, it, it, instead of going through multiple sources, screens, transaction research, a person can type in an item or a supplier name, and, and this tool brings every aggregates it all together right for them. It, it is a huge, huge capability. Kathy, can you just talk a little bit more about how you guys developed the tool, maybe the technology behind it? I, I know the one word that will come out is maybe cloud. <laughs> well, so actually this is more of the SAP kind of capability that we've used here, and we have not yet moved that to the cloud. So <laughs> the cloud won't be in this particular discussion. But it's really about uh, linking different sources that are out there and then using some of the uh, business objects capability and analytics that are inherent in the business intelligence kind of platforms that we have with SAP. And so that's what we've really leveraged here to, to bring this information to life. And as Mike said, you can get um, a lot of information on the different risk areas that he talked about in terms of price, item, and, and supplier. But what it also does is that it links back to our core procurement system so that the buyer gets a flag. So while this system is running from a business intelligence perspective, if it notes something that's out of tolerance, it's going to send a flag back to that particular uh, buyer or technician so they know to do additional research. So it's helping them to flag things that they need to look at because, once again, they have a lot of workload. They can't look at everything. But those that are really out of tolerance, they're getting that, that alert so that they can then do uh, the extra research that's needed. All right. Well, I have to say I'm surprised it's not in the cloud. I, I, I stand <laughs> not corrected. Not in the cloud yet. We have other things in the cloud, but just not that. All right. Well, that's actually a great place to take a break because when we come back, maybe we'll talk about some of those things in the cloud. My guests today are Kathy Cutler, the Director of Information Operations and Chief Information Officer at the Defense Logistics Agency, and Michael Scott, the Deputy Director of DLA's Logistics Operations. I'm Jason Miller. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Kathy Cutler, the Director of the Information Operations and Chief Information Officer at the Defense Logistics Agency, and Michael Scott, the Deputy Director of DLA's Logistics Operations. Now, before break, we got a wonderful and informative conversation around supply chain, a more, more broadly enterprise risk management. Michael, talk a little bit more what you guys are doing to, to help mitigate risks. The couple things I'd probably highlight here deal with counterfeit parts. And so for the last several years, we've done a lot of work with uh, technology called DNA marking. And we do that. We, we've chosen microcircuits as the commodity that we focused on for this. It's an area that is high into supply chain risk, counterfeiting from, from many foreign entities and so forth. 
uh, and critical to many weapon systems. So we've, over the last probably five, six years, we've now shown with data the use of this technology to put a DNA mark on every microcircuit that the agency procures before it goes into the supply system uh, allows us to trace that through its entire life cycle, ensure we have the right parts on our weapon systems, and we're now using that to look at where, what other commodities can we use that technology to do the same thing. So that's another thing we're doing. We're also highly into using some optical scanning technologies on other commodities uh, that as they're delivered to us, even though we've tried to do everything we can on the front end, uh, there are certain things we're using this technology to ensure in detailed scanning it is the proper uh, item that we've received. So just a couple other areas that we're excited about in, in that space. The DNA piece of it, can you maybe just, uh, as you say, put a DNA mark on every microcircuit. Can you just give me a sense of how that works? So I'm not the technical expert, but we have uh, DLA Labs is part of our organization. And so for every microcircuit that comes into the agency, uh, a technician will use the technology to put an actual DNA mark on the microcircuit. And, and so uh, that's then registered. Uh, we can tell whenever we end up getting a microcircuit back into the system or have to look at, you know, a problem, you know, maybe there was an issue, a system went down, uh, we can scan that circuit back and tell whether it is, you know, you know a true proper DOD microcircuit or not, if it has the markings or not. All right, very interesting. Maybe something to follow up with some other DLA folks in the future. So, so thank you for sharing that. Let, let me get out of the supply chain risk management side and just more talk more generally IT stuff. DLA awarded a contract called J6 or JETS, J6 Enterprise Technology Services. Uh, and, and DLA is using it to do several things, a lot of modernization, reducing redundant applications. So maybe, Kathy, start off and talk a little bit about the impact of that contract and that, those efforts on the overall DLA effort to modernize your IT. Before um, we had the JETS contract in place, we had hundreds of different types of contracting vehicles out there. Some of them were uh, very similar in nature. Some of them provided like services. And so we started an effort to say that's probably in the not, not the best way to get the, the biggest bang for our butt, buck from an IT perspective. So we really consolidated all of those requirements into this JETS vehicle. It's been in place since uh, December of 20, of 2016. It has about 21 different task areas that covers anything from, you know, development to network support, hardware and software, all of that kind of thing. And we're really using that for about 95% of all of the needs that we have um, in IT and DLA. And so just a couple of examples, um, you know, application rationalization and getting rid of redundant uh, capabilities is something that we've been focused on for a while. And uh, a few years ago, we had over 1,200 different types of applications. We've got that down to about 260. And so we were going to continue to, to rationalize those applications that we have so that we have a very manageable IT footprint. We can reduce costs. We can reduce the number of applications we have. And we can reduce the cyber risk that having more information and more applications presents to us and, and keep those things up to 
date while still providing more modern capabilities to the workforce. And so we're using our JETS contract to help us uh, not only identify those opportunities, but also determine where is the best uh, way to deliver a particular capability that our end users may need in the future. And we're hoping to drive uh, that the number of applications down to a very uh, small amount. And in fact, we would like to get it uh, really to single digits at some point in time in the future so that we're providing a very simple user interface and then the technology behind the scenes is as simplified as it, as it can be. Um, now, in terms of, you, you had asked uh, about the cloud before, and one of the things that we are also using our JETS contract for is to determine different hosting options. So today we have applications hosted in DISA, the Defense Information Support Activity, and then we also have things that are hosted um, inside of DLA. But we want to get rid of that infrastructure inside of our own environment, and we want to move to more efficient capabilities. We have about one-third of those applications that I mentioned uh, roughly about 90 things already in a cloud type of environment. It can be a cloud with DISA or it's e either in Amazon Web Services or Azure or something of that nature. And we are actively uh, working to migrate all of the, our remaining applications to a different type of construct. Uh, our most recent success in that area is with a pilot that we're doing with our warehouse management system. And so this is really a technology refresh from the, a legacy system that we have in uh, our depots today that does the receipt store inventory type of functions. And so we just started with a pilot earlier this month, actually, to using an SAP cloud type of environment. It's hosted in AWS. And so that will be really the, the first start of us moving the SAP products, as we talked about earlier, into more of a cloud-based environment. But we will continue to look for those type of opportunities with this particular contracting vehicle, as well as others, as we move in the future, because we are really trying to modernize our, our, um, our IT, use those capabilities that make the most sense and are the most cost-effective methodologies in the industry. A couple things there. So first of all, 1,200 apps to 261 is impressive in and of itself. And, and you're also talking about getting down to single digits. I have to ask, is that even possible? There is skepticism on whether we can get that low, but the approach that we're trying to, to move toward now is to work on the user interface and get away from talking about systems and talk about capabilities. So, for instance, today we have a system that does your time and attendance. We have the system that does your travel orders. We have a system that does the order processing for the for the warfighter. We have a system that does your the procurement process. Well, as opposed to us talking about the four different systems that that might entail. In the future, we're going to talk about those capabilities, and they're going to be all wrapped into what we are uh, currently calling DLA Go. So DLA Go becomes my front-end application that users use, and then if they need to do their time and attendance, they don't necessarily need to know it's a what the name of the system is that's behind that as long as they can get in and do what they need to do. So we're trying to kind of change our approach and not talk so much about systems in the future and talk about capabilities. And if we're able to do that, we're saying, well, we could say DLA Go is the one system that we 
we have as long as it provides all the capabilities that we need. Now, obviously, that's a long-term vision and a long-term journey, but we are already prototyping some of the early versions of what that DLA Go interface would look like for our users because we think that would simplify their experience, it would simplify our training experience as well, and really be able to take advantage of more modern um, technology and some visual cues that we don't do today. And I want to talk a little bit more about DLA Go before I do that. Well, that's actually a great place to take a break because when we'll come back, maybe we'll talk about some of those things in the cloud. My guests today are Kathy Cutler, the Director of Information Operations and Chief Information Officer at the Defense Logistics Agency, and Michael Scott, the Deputy Director of DLA's Logistics Operations. I'm Jason Miller. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Kathy Cutler, the Director of the Information Operations and Chief Information Officer at the Defense Logistics Agency, and Michael Scott, the Deputy Director of DLA's Logistics Operations. One of the things that stood out to me when you talk about the application rationalization is the governance side, right? How do you ensure that another part of DLA is not buying a app that's you already own or, or that's decided doesn't meet your architecture needs? Do you have a certain kind of review process that any app has to go through to, before it can get on the network beyond the typical well, cyber ATO thing? Well, anything, any application or IT that's bought in the enterprise, it should be done through our office. And if other folks try to do that, then there is a review process that our office does to make sure it would meet the architecture and whatever other uh, constraints that we may have. So I don't think that's a big issue, but you talk about governance. It is very important to have people like Mike in his process owner and business cycle owner role help drive to that standardization that we need in order to rationalize all of those things. So that's another area where we are very much in partnership to drive the agency to where we need to go. Let me talk a little bit now about DLA Go as well. You said you're just in the early stages of it. Is it currently a concept that's being pieces are being prototyped, or where are you with the development or the implementation of it? It is a very early prototype that we are using inside of just our J6 organization right now. We're trying to eat the dog food before we expose that to anyone else. And we haven't worked out all the, you know, things like single sign-on and all the links yet, but we're starting to put together those tiles on what people would need, and then we want to tailor it to a specific job role. So, for instance, if you are a buyer in the future, you'll have all the standard things that every employee in DLA would see, but then you would have your desktop there. You would have your workload that comes out to the acquisition specialist. You would have your alerts. You would have the link to the business decision analytics that we were talking about earlier would all be on your desktop because it would be based on you and your job roles that you have. So we're working on that logic. It is in the very, very early stages, but we will be putting more plans behind that over the next several months so that hopefully we can have something that we can deploy to a wider audience in FY19. You answered my next question is, was there a timing for a, an alpha versus even a beta? And it sounds like 2019 is what you're aiming for. Yes. Excellent. Now, th that's a fascinating use, and it's, it reminds me a little bit of 
what the Army tried to do years ago with Army Knowledge Online, with the Defense Knowledge Online as a training, as a HR site. But it seems to be that the technology now is much better, and our understanding of how that technology could work seems to be much better. So is that the difference now maybe for the why you said, hey, DLA Go is, is – is more realistic today than it was, you know, five years ago? I think absolutely, and I think our workforce has changed. I think as we get more uh, millennials into the workforce, I think they have different expectations than perhaps what we have back then. And so we're trying to respond to those needs. You know, everybody's using their iPhone today. We're trying to make that a more useful tool as well. But we're trying to put – we're trying to think about those visual cues and, and making it easier for users to use the applications that we have. And not get so bogged down in some of the technology that might be behind the curtains that really um, we could simplify for them. Fascinating example. Something I definitely want to follow up with you uh, in 2019 or whenever the appropriate time is. You talked about the Jets contract quite a bit and a lot of things going around there. Just real quick, other priorities that you're focusing on that maybe is either A, outside the Jets contract or B, something that you didn't mention around the Jets contract? Just a couple other things. I mean, I think it all kinds of, kind of goes back to, uh, you know, using Jets wherever we can. But some of the other things that we're trying to focus on on the next few months are probably expanding, you know, artificial intelligence, figuring out where are other places that we can use that uh, in DLA. We we are also pursuing uh, what we call robotic process automation, which is a, a version of artificial intelligence or intelligent automation. And we have done some um test with some bots that we're, uh, we uh, affectionately call them on some of our, our more transactional uh, processes in terms of working exception documents out of our ERP. And so we've just done some small tests there. They've been very successful, and we're looking to expand that concept over the next 90 days or so and really looking for other opportunities to take some of that transactional work away from our uh, employees and have them do higher value-added activities moving forward. And we think this will be a particularly useful technology to use in in the world of audit, where we have to do a lot of uh, reconciliation work and things of that nature, and we think that the, the bots will help us with that. Also, continuing to focus on the, the data management and analytics, uh, we have set up a uh, chief data officer and an analytics center of excellence, where we're trying to, once again, get a foundation of all the data that we have in DLA, how we can use that better, how we can it better, what are the data visualization tools that we need to give to the workforce so that, once again, they can make better business decisions on that. Continuing the move to the cloud, as I mentioned before, we will continue to press that and get as much out to a cloud-based environment as possible. We're also looking at bring-your-own-device type of strategy. In today's world, we do a virtual desktop, so perhaps we just run the back office and we let employees simplify their experience by not having to carry multiple devices. They can bring their own device to work. We can securely connect them with what they need to be connected to, and they can continue to do uh, their work. So we're looking at a pilot in that area as well. And then the last thing I'd like to mention is really about innovation. So the pace of technological change is something that we all need to be cognizant of because it's moving at, at, at a pace that we can't necessarily always keep up, especially in the government space. So to help us with that, we set up an innovation cell uh, about uh, two years ago uh, to really start working on the culture within our organization to look at what's out there in industry, to look at what Silicon Valley does, how do they do development, and, and all of those kinds of things. And 
and we are starting to do different types of training and boot camps with our employees so that, once again, we're trying to infuse new ideas so that we can uh, get more agility in our workforce and we can keep up with that rapid rate of change in technology much better than we've done in the past. Before I let you guys go, I know a lot of vendors do listen to my program, so let me just bring Michael back into the discussion. Uh, Vendors, what should they know about working with your offices? I would tell all of our suppliers, one, on-time delivery uh, of the parts we're buying, the services we're buying is hugely, hugely important. The other thing, we're going to be more and more focused on the kind of delivery dates we put on our contracts. Uh, Again, back to that readiness aspect. All right, excellent. This has been a fascinating conversation. I, as, I, as you said, there's so much more to talk to. So we're going to have to have you guys come back on in, in short time and, and uh, really do appreciate. But unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Let me thank my guests, Kathy Cutler, Director of Information Operations and the Chief Information Officer, the Defense Logistics Agency. Kathy, thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh, thank you, Jason. It's been a pleasure. And Michael Scott, the Deputy Director of DLA's Logistics Operations. Michael, thank you for taking the time as well. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes. 